welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 923. Third, a writ, granting you the right to travel, play, and perform wherever you will within my lands. Lastly, my thanks. Mershon Lorand Alvaron. I sat for a few long minutes, watching the birds flit in the garden outside my window. The contents of the envelope were just as Alvaron had said. The letter of credit was a work of art, signed in four places by Alvaron and his chief exchequer. The writ was, if anything, even more lovely. It was drawn on a thick sheet of creamy vellum, signed by the mayor's own hand, and fixed with both his family's seal and that of Alvaron himself. But it was not a writ of patronage. I read through it carefully. By omission, it made it clear that neither was I in the mayor's service, nor were we bound to each other. Still, it granted free travel and the right to perform under his name. It was an odd compromise of a document. I'd just finished dressing when there came another knock on the door. I sighed, half expecting more guards coming to rouse me out of my rooms. But opening the door revealed another runner boy. He carried a silver tray bearing another letter. This one had the lackless seal upon the top. Beside it lay a ring. I picked it up and turned it over in my hand. I picked it up and turned it over in my hands, puzzled. It was iron, as I'd expected. But, oh, it wasn't iron, as I'd expected, but pale wood. Mellowin's name was burned crudely onto the side of it. I noticed the runner boy's wide eyes darting back and forth between the ring and myself. More importantly, I noticed the guards were not staring at it, pointedly not staring. The sort of not staring you only engage in when something very interesting has come to your attention. I handed the boy my silver ring. Take this to Brayden, I said, and don't dawdle. Brayden was looking up at the guards as I opened the door. Keep up the good work, my boys, he said, playfully tapping one of them on the chest with his walking stick. The silver wolf's head chimed lightly against the guard's breastplate, and Brayden smiled like a jolly uncle. We all feel safer for your vigilance. He closed the door behind himself and raised an eyebrow at me. Lord's mercy, boy! You're up the ladder by leaps and bounds. I knew you sat solid in the mayor's good grace, but to have him assign you two of his personal guards? He pressed his hands to his... Nope. He pressed his hand to his heart and sighed dramatically. Soon you'll be too busy for the likes of poor old useless Brayden. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. You think Brayden actually doesn't know what's going on? I was going to ask the same thing. Uh, now, if, if you, like me, are a, you know, a simple country book reader, and you don't want to you know, speculate too much about the goings-on in this here book, you might assume that Brayden is being genuine when he, he thinks that Quoth is moving up in the world, and it's a dramatic irony that Quoth is, in fact, moving down. 
But lays it on pretty thick, though. But if you are like my more speculative co-hosts, these fancy city-fied book readers with their pet theories and crack pots, well, you might think that he's laying on a bit thick for Quoth's benefit. Yeah, I think so. I think he's... Quoth explains everything to him, right? Quoth leans on him for everything. You know, not to get too far ahead of myself, but Quoth even hands him the accounts of his of his pagan frolics that he got from his, his rumors. Like, he... In playing dumb, if he is in fact playing dumb, Quoth like gives him every detail of the story. He even shows him the letters that they wrote him. Like, if Brayden is in fact there to gather information, he gets an awful lot of information. If he's just like a helpful and uh, hapless courtier, then you know he's he's friendly. He gets his he he helps Quoth out. He's a jovial fellow. We are reminded of his wolf's head stick. Yeah, I feel like that's set dressing, but I don't know. Well, it's set dressing by the mayor. Denna with it, right? He might be beating Denna with it. He also might be a stick by the mayor. Um, he's a he's a what? There, there was a thing that the Cathay said to Quoth: "Stick by the mayor, and he will lead you to the door of the Emir." And Nick has been Nick has been advancing uh, a frankly absurd theory, in my view, that when he says stick by the mayor, he doesn't mean stay close to the mayor because the mayor. He means there is a stick near the mayor. Yes. How is that any more silly than the V and the H are his voice in his hands and they're in the box? It's not, but I like that one better. (laughs) They are. I'm not going to explain it to you rationally. (laughs) An interesting piece of artifice that. We don't, there's a couple of documents in this passage that we don't see the actual text of. They are not described to us diegetically, to use another favorite word on this podcast. And that's because describing them diegetically wouldn't actually be useful. We just need to know what they mean for the story. And also, I think because in the case of this document, describing what exactly the mayor's written then Rothfuss has to devise the legal language by which the mayor says like, you're, you're like, under my protection, kind of, but you're not really. We don't know each other, but like, yeah, you can it's, do this. it's far more interesting to get the text of his letter diegetically, but this ain't Tolkien. We don't need to get every single piece of written correspondence spelled out for us. All that matters is we understand what he's uh, carried away from here. And I like that this chapter sets up. Rothfuss is constantly doing this in a way that I think is like serves the tension well, where he sets up a question at the start of a chapter that gets answered, um, even though this question kind of gets answered in the next couple of pages. But he he makes it makes it clear for us that this is an important thing that we should be asking questions about because the servants are all very interested in it. Yes, I agree. Yep, and we know the rudiments of the ring game, but now we're being introduced to the more the secret aspects, the unspoken. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the wood ring means, but uh, one of a wooden it's, ring is one it's of good. The ones... Don't worry, it's really it's a good thing. Quoth yeah, is definitely I'm sure it's great yeah. coming from the yeah. lackless lady. Yeah, but isn't a wooden ring one of the rings that that he wears? Like in the in that form? yes, on his first hand he had yes. rings of stone, iron, amber, wood, and bone, I believe. Thank you for calling attention to that, Jordana, because I had forgotten, and that will become directly relevant in the subsequent few pages. I'm actually going to look up that rhyme, because I think that rhyme only occurs, like, once the rhyme about Quoth. Let me see. I mean, we know that you can also get rings from naming stuff, so maybe he just learns the name of Wood, but that would be less cool. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I think when, when the rhyme is introduced, we're meant to take it as 
he's learned all these names, but I think, again, a far more interesting read and one that's in line with the theme of this book, which is that the truth of stories are far more mundane, is that he simply like has acquired these rings. Here's what it says. On his first hand, he wore rings of stone, iron, amber, wood, and bone. There were rings unseen on his second hand, one blood in a flowing band. One was air all whisper thin, and the ring of ice had a flaw within. Full faintly shone the ring of flame, and the final ring was without name. I think what we have to assume is that some of the rings that are described are literally rings like the wooden ring. Some of them are naming rings, uh, which, and some of them are metaphorical rings. Yeah, ring of blood might be like an oath. Or it might describe, he's constantly talking about how he has raw blood, he has trooper's blood. And of course, if the ring is shattered, then uh, destined death will become unavailable to all those in the lands between. And a tarnish must cross the great sea in order to, to gather the great rooms from the demigods and reassemble the Elden Ring and awake Queen Merica from her endless slumber. Right, I knew this sounded okay. familiar. <laughs> yeah, now Nick's doing bits, so I think we're going to end the episode unless we've got a letter. But yeah, like I said, we got lots of letters. Jordan, do you have anything else to say while I open up the letterbox? This letter is from Joe, who writes, No subject! Hail pagers! It's been a while since my last letter, but after the garden sequence between Quoth and the Mayor, I simply could not stay my hand. My pot for today may be so cracked as to be a pile of shards, but the whole sequence between Quoth and the Mayor, in combination with Quoth's previous conversation with the Cathay, has caused me to go full Pepe Sylvia. What if the Emir, as Nick previously speculated, are nothing like what they once were? They no longer command vast hosts of soldiers, but instead consist of a small number of influential individuals that quietly push things in the desired direction. What if the mayor has been an emir the whole time and is simply playing dumb to use Quoth as a disposable pair of skilled hands? Or to go even deeper, what if someone close to the mayor is pushing him to act the way he does? This could be behind some of the mayor's odder decisions, such as marrying Mellow and Lackless, or it could be connected to the attempt on his life slash attempt to keep him weak. That could have either been to damage his use to the emir, or to keep him weak and pliant to be more manipulable. I think this sort of development would very much be in keeping with the Cathay's statements on the mayor's closeness to the emir, and the guarantee that Quoth will laugh when he puts it together. Thoughts? Is my pot too cracked? Is such a thing possible? Best Joe. I think it's far more likely that Codicus, or someone like him, is the emir around the mayor. I think uh, he's too... He's too important. He's too much of a, like public figure to actually be an emir but uh in much the same way that you know dick cheney was actually running george bush's government i think that there's a craven figure close behind him who is what if it's uh, actually pushing him yo that's actually a really good that's like a <laughs> fantastic theory jordana i freaking love that i mean also brayden like i feel like the the likely figures are sort of the quiet ones who who manipulate things quietly subtly but stapes being like a really like stapes also seems like kind of a simple guy ultimately but who knows maybe that's the act we know nothing about the emir except that lauren is definitely one of them reasonable <laughs> no jeremy no nothing well i'm just a simple country book reader and i don't think it profitable to engage in baseless wild speculation about the Nature of things that will ultimately be revealed to us in time. Uh-huh. Time. What time do you think we have? Well, listeners, I suspect that Nick is going to... Only gonna today and tomorrow's page. Oh. Of... 
<laughs> the despondence with which Jeremy ended that bit just absolutely defeated. Oh. Wee.